nice to see you. I think you're coming out tonight. If um, if you've got tomorrow night for you, you should be here. I want to share something with you that's really important and something that I think will be uh, a revelation to you in some way. So uh, since it's an open meeting, I might as well tell you, be here tonight. You've never heard it before in your life and you'll never forget it again. You are the rest of the life. Now that's me, if it's telling me that, so I better come up with something, right? <laughs> so you won't know, will you, until you're there. Because people told me, well, tell me what I say tomorrow night will make slightly different to there. It'll be impactful for you. So now I'm going to see if I can come up with goods tomorrow. I want to talk to you about one of my most favorite passages of scripture in the Bible. And uh, I want to talk to you about this because I think that it's. Uh, quite an impactful statement that uh, is made in the Old Testament. Now, I want to take you off the beaten path a little bit. Some of you will know about this, but some of you may find that this is a little bit uh, off the usual path of where preachers go or where, where you read in your Bible, unless you're systematically read. So I want to take you to what I think is a hidden gem, something that has been a real blessing to me, and I want to have a look at it a little bit. Uh, so, like, let's do a Bible study but without all the stuff. Yeah? 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 Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Fantastic. Second book of Chronicles starts off very interesting. It says in chapter 20, after this, after this, after everything was doing all right, the king of Jehoshaphat set up his kingdom and he'd just been up the battle and there were two kings in the battle, hidden the king of Israel. The king of Israel got killed, so he comes back and just missed that. And uh, so now God rebukes it because he shouldn't have done that. He settles down, he's building this city of Jerusalem and building the nation. And everything's going really fantastic. And it says after this, after this, after everything's settled down, everything's moving forward. The Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Midianites, there's a lot of lights there, isn't it? Anyway. Came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the Dead Sea. And it's already at Hazor, Tamar, and that is a Dominion Gedi area, which is down the end of Israel. And alarmed Jehoshaphat, resolved that he would inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. One of the translations says, with his knees knocking together, literally, he was terrified. And uh, he's terrified, so he calls to pray. So that's his first response. This massive multitude of enemies have invaded the land. It is an impossible army for him to defeat. He's way outnumbered. He just doesn't stand in a chance. So he knows, he's terrified, he's facing defeat and disaster, and he goes to prayer. Always a good response, yes? A good response? Our first response should be prayer? On our last resort? Yeah? And often it is the last resort. We've done everything we can do. We can't do anymore. Then we think, oh, hang on, I've got to pray about this. Or otherwise, it's been a fair. So prayer, rather than the last resort for this king, was the first resort, and he went and he prayed. And this is his prayer. I'll read it to you. He says, oh, Lord, God of our ancestors, you are not the God, who, are you not the God who is in heaven? There is a God in heaven, yeah? There is a God. And we know that God in heaven, yeah? There are lots of speculations about what is the God in heaven, who is the God in heaven, but we know to be the God revealed to us in the scripture. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, power and might are in your hand, and no one, no one, no one can withstand you. So now what you see is he has this amazing 
concept of God, which is revealed during this troubled times. And he says up in verse 12, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What you see here is when you get in trouble, that's when we can see what sort of God you actually believe in. When things are going well, well, there's no distinction, really. But when you get into trouble, now we're going to find out what you really believe about God. What you know comes to the surface in times of trouble. And when you're faced with challenges, then your understanding of God is put to the test. And if it's a feeble understanding of God, then it will come out in your responses to troubles and difficulties. But this king, he had a fantastic understanding of God because he says, you, you are the God who is in heaven. And you are the only one that who can defeat this last army. So that's his prayer. So you have the problem, an invasion. You have the king who begins to pray. But then this unique passage of scripture gives you an immediate answer. And so the immediate answer comes from God, uh, through a prophet. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And then the prophet goes on to say, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord that he will give to you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then it says this. Do not go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Right, right. So, problem, the army, the king, answer from God. Very clear. God is going to be with you. You will not be defeated. Right now. Then, there's the next place. With me. The next phase is what does the king do? So the king gathers all the people together and he's going to talk to them. He's going to say, listen, we've got this problem, right? I've been praying and we've got this answer. Now we're going to do something. And this is what the king says to the people. Early in the morning, they left for the desert. As they said out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Here it is. You ready? Have faith in the Lord your God. And you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. That was the word of the king before they set out for battle. I like the message translation, which says, Believe firmly in God, your God, and your lives will be firm. Believe in your prophets, and you'll come out on top. Now, when we arrive at this statement of the king before they are about to go into battle, we see something that of Jehoshaphat's faith and understanding of God. Because what he's saying is that if you believe very firmly in your God, then that firm belief in God makes every other part of your life also firm. A strong faith gives strength to all your life. It's not just a part of you that's strong in faith. But when you have strong faith, Every other part of you is affected by that strong faith. And faith is, is fundamental. It's, a, it's an access point upon which all of your life revolves. And if you have strong faith, then every other part and part and piece and, and aspect of your life becomes strong because it comes strong out of the faith that you have in God that is strong. Do you see what he's saying to that? 
So if we get our faith right, everything else is going to be right. But if you don't have our faith right, then we won't have anything right. If we have weak faith, then it affects the rest of our life. Then it affects every part of our life. So he's saying then that we must have this faith. We must have strong faith. And strong faith makes us strong. So he's saying, come on, let's stand fast. Hold firmly onto the promises we've been given. And trust in the word of God. And then you will be established. Now, when we get to this point here, what, the, what we need to see is that obviously he wasn't talking in English. Yeah? He was speaking in Hebrew. Yeah? And your Bible isn't in Hebrew. Well, I'm sure it's not. And what we have now is a gap of some several thousands of years. Right? So we're talking of a gap of four or five thousand years or something. Right? It's a massive gap in time. Things have changed over that amount of time. Yeah, Quite considerably. So we have this problem. We have a problem that when the king spoke to them, he spoke in a language that is not ours. He spoke in a time which is far, far distant from our time, to a culture far, far different from ours. So what we can expect is when we read what he's saying in English, really, we don't understand the depth of what he said. Because all we can do is imagine what that culture in that distant time of history, in that language, what did they say? And out of that, we try to extract something for today. Now the translators do their best, and they give you an approximation, and you speak a little line, and that's it, you get this one idea. But as you know, language and culture is complicated. And sometimes you and I know that we could say one thing in the language, but it can mean many things to us as a people because of our culture, right? We say one thing in, in English, and other people say, what do you really mean by that? Well, it's not that. It's just this. It's also this. It means this, and it means that. But when you translate another culture from another point of history in another language, none of that comes through. It's all filtered out, unfortunately. So what we're going to do is we're going to put it back together. We're going to reassemble the statement of the king as to what the people who heard it would have actually heard, which is a bit different from what we're hearing, because we're just hearing the, the basic message, right? So we're going to put it back together. There are four aspects that come out that the people who are listening to this would have understood. You didn't have to spell it out, but they understood it, Intuitively, when he said it in that day, in that age, in that culture, this is what they understood. And the translators trying to do their best, use it by using different English words, which is very inadequate. So we should really have a look at this, shouldn't we? And see what it's saying. Because it's, it really is fantastic. So we've said that he said to them, if you believe firmly in God, your life will be firm, and that your faith is the key to success, and your faith is the key to every other aspect of your life. And when you have strong faith, then the rest of your life will be strong, and therefore you will have a successful life, because fundamentally you have a strong faith. So that's, that message is still there, but we missed the four pictures 
that this culture and this time understood the first one is found in a word translated in the NIV as the word upheld. Upheld. So some translations talk about being upheld. You are upheld. Now, upheld. Hold up? Not quite. It's more than hold up, because if you say, well, I'm holding you up, it's going to fall over. It's not that. It's being upheld. The English idea could mean I can lift it up, but that's not what the Hebrews that in those days understood by this. In their mind, immediately they had this picture, and the picture is of a mother holding a baby. That's the picture. A mother holding a baby. So now here's this strange thing. This king has got this army, and they're about to march out and fight battle. And he says, he says, don't worry about it, because if you have strong faith, then the Lord will uphold you. He will hold you like a mother holding a baby. Well, that's a fantastic picture of God holding us like a mother holds a child. Now, when a mother holds a child, there's a lot of things going on, isn't it? it it's, it's holding and nurturing and caring and protecting. God help you if you get between mother and child. Yeah? I'm telling you, look out. Uh, you're not going to survive if you try and attack the child, right? The mother's going to be very, very defensive. There's going to be a lot of trouble. And so now it says, well, God has got you. He's got you in his arm like a mother has a child. And we're going into battle. And you can look out for those guys that want to hurt you because God's got you like a mother holding a child. It's a beautiful picture. It's very personal. It's very tender. And it reminds us of some statements in the Bible. For instance, in, in, in Psalm 131, uh, 131, David says, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Now, specifically, David talks about a weaned child. Now, if you're not weaned, you're still a wrestler, right? You're still looking to be fed by your mother. But David gives us a deeper picture of this. He says, I'm not there as a little baby in the arms of God because I'm trying to get something to drink. I'm not being, you know, breastfed. But I am like a little child who no longer needs his mother's milk, but wants the warmth of the mother's embrace. That's what it means. It's not like God holds you because you're too weak and too feeble and you need whatever he's got, yet you do, but it's more personal. It's that more loving relationship, and you don't have to be a little baby to want the arms of your mother and to be in the arms of your mother. And that's this picture here, this, this mother-God picture, the mothering of God for us, that, that contentment, which is sitting in a mother's arms, sitting on a mother's lap, being watched over and protected and provided for and cared for, that's it. And if we hold on to his word, and if we put our trust in his word, and if we have faith in God, then he is going to wrap his arms around you, and he is going to hold on to you. And as you hold on to him without wavering, so he will hold on to you and give you success, just like a parent, just like a mother, wrapping his arms around you. So faith embraces God, and in turn, God 
embraces you. It's a good picture, isn't it? It's a nice, holy, warm, encouraging picture. He says, well, come on, embrace God in faith and let him embrace you as a parent and child. Second, little word picture here is quite different from that because in the second word picture, the message translation tries to highlight this. When it talks about your lives, believe firmly in God and your lives will be firm. And there is this word firm that tried to communicate because it describes the second picture that people would have heard when they heard the king speak to them in this short phrase because firm is a picture of a nail, a rather large iron nail, which is hammered in so hard you can't pull it up. It's stuck in it. That is the word that is described here in the word firm. Now, a few years back, we had a hailstorm uh, where we live in Melbourne. The hailstorms were about size cricket balls. And we had recently uh, put in some new uh, lines in our kitchen. And the hailstorm was bouncing all over the ground. So I went outside, couldn't take a picture, right? So I got the front door, got the camera, and I hear him screaming inside. And I'm running back inside. And Joe is there, and the hailstones are literally, literally smashing through the glass. And coming in with that, shredding the new blinds that were only up for a couple of days beforehand and smashing on the floor, destroying the car. We had holes knocked in our wooden fence, holes knocked in the, in the pergola outside, big holes smashed straight through roof tiles, smashed. We had the air conditioning driven outside. We had the, the estimated from the insurer said. We had $35,000 of damage inside of just over 30 seconds. It was just amazing. It was all over very quickly, but it was one of those things where it just happened better. So now, here I am, super husband. Winds are smashed, rain coming in. This is the time for the super husband to work, right? So what do you do? Well, I knew I had to put it outside in the shed. So I ran out the shed quickly, grabbed this top it. And I had to put it up on the outside of the window. So I, I, I went and I grabbed some nails and a hammer. Now I couldn't find the nails now, so I could only find a six inch nail. So I got outside and I hammered the top hole in it with a six inch nail. Now six inch nail is six inches long. It's not strange. <laughs> and, uh, and I hit it. It's one of those amazing coincidences of life. But I hit this thing and hit this car really fearfully up and down. I've got hailstones bouncing off my head, and I'm I'm completely drenched, but no more rain comes into the house. Yeah? Fix the problem. Well, we've got a problem. We've got to get all the water out of the rest of it. But then, when the storm's gone, I ring up the insurance company, and they say, Yes, yes, we're, we're getting hundreds of calls from your area. No problem. You just get a glazer, come and fix it, send us, send us the thing. So an enterprising glazer, within two hours of the storm having gone, was driving up the street with his glazing bag, smart guy. And I'm outside, I called him, oh, what are you doing? I wanted to see if anybody, yeah, come on, come in here, you can fix the glass for me. So he comes around the back and pulls the top, all in off, and he says, yeah, and measures out, yeah, we can see it. And then he starts to work on it, and he sees 
this six inch slate cabinet into the window frame. And he said, Oh, what's that in there? I'm like, Yeah, what have done? That's an overkill. You know, this is just a tough thing to do. And uh, yeah, so he's got so you had to get them up the left, right? It was in, it was not coming out. That is a bit I want to have here. Something that is hammered in so hard, you can't get it out. So now when he is saying to those people at Israel, if you believe firmly in your God, your lives will be firm. If your faith is hammered in like that then, and it's so hard it can't be moved. Then you've got something on which you can hang the rest of your life and you cannot be moved. You've got something that can take the weight of your life and the problems and difficulties. You can get a grip of this thing and it's not going to let you down. You see, some people's faith is so shallow that when things happen and they lean on it, it breaks. It's just gone because it was so shallow. But when you have a strong, firm faith in God, then no matter what the trouble is that you face, you can lean on this thing, you can hold on, it will hold your weight, it will hold you up in times of difficulties, it will support you through every problem because you made sure your faith was strong. Firm faith gives a firm life. Firm faith, hard-driven faith, will hold you in good stead in every single problem. So make sure your faith is strong now. Strengthen your faith now so that in the time of difficulty, you have a strong faith that will uphold you and keep you strong. It's unmovable. And when your faith is unmovable, you become unmovable. When your faith is strong, you become strong. That was the second picture they saw. The mother with the baby, the nail in the wall on which you will be strong. So he sent them out the back and said, remember, we're in the arms of God. Remember, we've nailed our faith to the Lord and nothing is going to move us. We are determined. Now, there's a third picture they see in this passage. And the third picture is used by or tried to be revealed to us by the translators who use the word steadfast. So believe firmly in God, or to stand fast and to be steadfast is used by some of the translators to get this across. Steadfast, to be firm, to be fixed in one spot. Steadfast, it's an old-fashioned word, steadfast. Okay, to be established, some translations talk about. And now, this is a fascinating little word with an word which kind of, because it's only ever used in one other place in the Bible like this, and that is found in the book of Job, chapter 39, verse 24, where Job is describing a war horse. A war horse that's not distracted by the noise of battle. As you know, war horses were bred to fight. A war horse is a fighting animal. It's not just any horse upon which a warrior rides. Okay, because if a if a warrior got on any normal horse, uh, the horse is going to die very quickly in a battle. Right? 
And of course, they panicked with all the noise and the bangs and shuts and the screams and the clash of swords and the clash of shields and all the noise that's going up, the screaming and the agonizing calls of wounded, terrified people. So the war horse has to be trained for battle. It's trained not to respond to loud and sudden noises or to screams and shouts and then sort of rather like a police. And a war horse wouldn't be like a racing horse. It was not bred for speed. It's more like a car horse that's bred for strength. So the warrior would climb on top of the horse dressed in his armor, and the horse would have its own armor. But now, not only do you have a large horse, powerful, strong horse, who's trained not to respond to anything that is noisy and you know, sudden, it's bred for the battle, but now you have a horse that's also trained to fight. How do you train a horse to fight? Well, it did bite. And war horses bit. They would rip your face off. And war horses would stand. So when a war horse comes towards you, it is going to actually try to stamp you into the ground and bite and shake its head. All right? That's a war horse. Now you have a picture of a warrior on a war horse. Now remember, these people are going to war. They don't have a horse. This is a small Israeli army. But he's saying, when you put your faith in God, you will be like a war horse. Oh, I wish I had a war horse. I just got to walk in there with my sword and my shield. But if you have faith, you're as good as a war horse. Right, so my faith makes me like a war horse. Do you see what he's saying? Your faith breaches you for battle. Your faith makes you a terror to the enemy. It's your faith that gives you the strength. It's your faith that's going to bring you through. Now think, he says that it is steadfast. And the idea in Job, the idea is of a horse. It's bred for battle. It's a massive beast, right? Well, can you imagine? This massive beast is ready to go, but it's not being released. It's just <laughs> That's the war That's a war horse. And the warrior is sitting on top, holding bats, horse. And that is the picture of a man and woman of God as faith. They're not thinking, oh no, oh no. When you have faith in God, it changes you, it makes you courageous. It makes you willing to enter the battle, not run from the battle. It, it gives you the strength to be successful and victorious and to be conquering in battle. That's the picture. No wonder he inspired his people to go to battle. He's saying that when we go into battle, God's going to hold you in his arms. You're protected. When we go into battle, you've got something to hang on to. Let me tell you, you can't fail. Hang on to God. When we go into battle, God has given you the spirit of faith which will make you victorious. You will tread down your enemies. 
you will overcome. Amen. That's the promise of God. And it comes to the man and woman of faith. Now there is a fourth aspect of this. This one is one that we are more familiar with because it's translated trust. But strangely, 30 times in the Bible, this is not translated trust. It's translated as our old favorite, amen. Amen. Amen is trust. We say, amen means so be it. But do you see that that is a pathetic understanding of what the actual word amen means? Because when you get to the end of your prayer and you say, um, amen, it's like over and out, I'm finished. That's not what it means. When you come to the end of your prayer and you say, amen, you are now saying, I trust you. So be it. I trust you to make it so. That's it. Finish. Put a line on your stop. It's done. I trust you, God. So what he's saying is that when we put our faith in God, we are saying to God, God, this is yours. I'm giving it to you. Amen. Let it be. So be it. I trust you. That's the end of it. No more worry. No more anxiety. No more churning of your heart. You're praying in faith. The job is done. Finished. I'm not going to worry about it and wake up in the middle of the night and toss and turn about it. It's an amen. Amen. It's done. Finished. Stop your worry. Stop your fear. Stop your tenderness. It's done. That's faith. Done. Oh, you've got to Stop it. It's done. Should I pray again? Stop it. It's done. Get the idea? It's done. Certain. Sure. Absolutely confident. I trust in you, God. Now, that's what they heard when Jehoshaphat spoke to them. That's the best that we can these days. Uh, understand what happened so many thousands of years ago in that culture and in that language, but it makes it much richer. It has much more depth to it, and we get an insight into what they think. And after saying all of that, then this bloke, Jehoshaphat, he does something absolutely idiotic, honestly. Listen, after consulting with the people, verse 21 says, Jehoshaphat appointed men to, what do you think he appointed men to do? This is why I don't have a scripture on the screen. What do you think he appointed the men to do? Well, just think for a minute what you would appoint the men to do. He right, we saw that. Did the shield come on, light up, let's go, we're going to get the spears out. We're ready, 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 we're ready. Come on, that's what you're going to battle, right? Come on! You've seen the movies. Huh? But listen to what he did. He appointed the man to see him. What's that? <laughs> he appointed the man to see him to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out to the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving to us forever. That's a fact. What he did do was, he told all the warriors, all the soldiers, all those who are dressed now are ready for the battle, stay there. And then he called the musicians. Musicians, these ones, 
these blokes have done it with their musical instruments. And he put them in the front of the army. And he said, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to go into battle. And you musicians are going to be in front. You know what happens to people in front? They die first. They die first. They get slaughtered. They're cannon fodder. So he says, let's put all the people who don't know how to fight. All the musicians and the singers, let's gather all them together, put them in the front, and we'll march behind them. And then go. And this is going to be a slaughter, right? So you look at the king, he said, what the heck was he doing? Now listen, the reason he put the musicians first, because in most armies, the musicians don't go first. The reason he did it is he never expected to have to fight. Did he? Because he had faith that God was going to do the fight. And that's why he could enter his battle with praise and singing rather than shouting and bravado and, and, and the declarations of war and war cries. He doesn't have to do it because he says, your musician's going to be all right. You go down the city, we'll come behind. God is going to give us the battle. What a statement of faith. Amen. So let me say this, when you go to work tomorrow, school tomorrow, university tomorrow, whenever you face up to your problem, you don't have to go and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to do. And not by my not by car, by you can just say, Hallelujah. You can, why don't you go into singing? Singing is the best expression of your faith. Praising God is a wonderful expression of your faith in God because you're saying, I don't have to work myself up. I don't have to go and then shout and threats. I'll go praising God and God will go before me. And he will be my war horse. He will hold me in his arms. And he will be the one I'm holding on to. And he will be the one that says, that's it. It's done. It's all over. Now just go and take it. Go and claim the victory because it's already been given to you. See what he's doing? This guy, Jehoshaphat, does something that is just, you know, contrary to our normal intuition. And yet, it's a great expression of faith. Be afraid of the one who comes to you singing praises, not the one who comes to you speaking threats. Yeah? Because when he comes saying, this is what I'm going to do to you, like Goliath did to David, don't worry about it. Worry about the little boy who comes to you and says, why come to you in the name of the Lord? <laughs> now be afraid. Be very afraid. Because he who comes with singing praises is going to win victory. Amen? Amen? That's this wonderful picture. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture because we don't have to hide and cower. We can step into the battle, but we all of us are equipped to praise. Few of us are equipped to fight and to do battle, but all of us know how to praise God. And if you will praise him, the victory is yours. Amen. And you praise him in your circumstances and you praise him in your situation and the victory will be ours and success will be ours. And that's what I've learned from the scripture. Many times I've gone back to this and thought, you know what? I need to change my approach here. I need to go with more faith in God. I need to go with more worship. I need to believe that God can do great things. So let me read again the message translation. 
believe in this word, and you will come out on top. Amen? Come on. Let's be believers. Amen? Mm-hmm. Believers. Yes? Praise God. I've got another six minutes all the time. I'm doing for points. But you've got plenty of time, right? The ice cream shop down the road doesn't shut yet. Or whatever you're going for supper. So let's just spend a moment together in prayer, shall we? Can I ask before you come to musicians or church? The warriors, see amazing warriors coming here. Fantastic. That's good. Let me ask you then, how would I apply this? What is it in your life that is right now, you know, challenging you? As this king was challenged, what is it that stands before you as something that's perhaps standing in your way? What is it that's preventing the will of God being done, preventing the blessing of God coming into your life? What is it that challenges you or maybe, maybe causes you to be anxious or afraid? Whatever it is, you just need that to believe God and he will move it. He will change it. He will give you the victory. So when you go to face it today, tomorrow, whenever this week, you go to face it, you go not as some feeble person just trying to screw up a little bit of faith to get by, but you go as a warrior of God. And you go singing and praise you undefeatable before God. You are more than just a conqueror. Amen? More than just a conqueror because you're going in faith. And no weapon can stand against you because you're going in faith. Amen? And no, no matter what it is that's in front of you, you can triumph over it. Triumph over everything because you're the man and woman of faith. So take that problem that you've got right now and let's hammer in the nail of faith. Amen? Let's believe God. So hold that in your heart right now and let's begin to pray together. And if you're going to pray that God's going to help you through a situation or circumstance, while we pray, just raise your hands. See, that's me. I, I'm, I believe in God. For a breakthrough, I'm believing God for a miracle. I'm believing God that this week we're going to see God come on breakthrough, a blessing, and we're going to have victory and success. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come before you in faith, to believe, to believe, to hammer our name of faith in you and hold tight and believe, amen, so be it, nothing less. We're going to trust you and you alone. And we know that when we do that, Father, you will be the war horse that will smash and crush and destroy and make a way where there was no way. You will overcome what we cannot overcome. You will defeat what we cannot defeat. You will break through where there seems to be no breakthrough. You will, Lord, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. For you hold us in your arms. You love us and you care for us. And you want to see us have success and blessing and breakthrough. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We hold on to your word. We believe it. We trust in you. And as we put our trust in you and you alone, we know that the whole of our life is going to be made strong. And we're going to have victory and success. So for every one of these needs and circumstances, situations, problems, difficulties, whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is, it's represented to you tonight with his hands raised and his hearts of faith. I know that you're going to intervene, that you're going to come into their life, that they're going to be miracles and breakthrough, blessing and provision. And we just thank you for it right now. As people of faith, we give you thanks for it right now in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say, Amen. Amen. I'm done, baby. So it's the war horse. It always makes me tired. I just keep on feeling I should be running, running, building, but I'm doing it. I hope this picture in your mind you won't forget. Amen? Amen. Amen.